Have you ever heard that God placed an angel with a sword to keep Adam from the tree of life? What if I told you that was not in Scripture? It isn't. Get ready. This is Grace on Steroids. We're sin abound. Grace, much more abound. If you were raised in religion, then you probably heard that God kicked Adam out of the garden and said he could not eat of the tree of life. Why? Because God had put a ticked off 12 foot angel with a flaming sword in his hand, ready to slice Adam to pieces. I mean, this is kind of the picture I had growing up, you know, that if Adam were to try to get back into it, man, that angel would cut him up. But I've got a great idea. How about we read scripture, amen, and let's see what the scripture says, and let's let the scripture answer itself. Genesis 3, through 24, I revisited these verses not long ago, and I began to study them out, meditated upon them, and man, the Holy Spirit revealed some awesome things to me. So I want to read this to you from the text. It says, then the Lord God said... Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life. I'm emphasizing this for a reason. Notice what's being talked about. His hand. Here's another way. This is the way the Holy Spirit revealed it to me this morning. Lest Adam tries to produce through the works of his flesh, eternal life. And now lest he put out his hand, hand represents works, lest Adam also put out his hand and tries to work for something you can't earn, you must receive it. Are you getting this? Lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden, to till the ground. Again, works of the flesh from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim. That caught my attention. Not singular, cherubim, plural, at the east of the Garden of Eden and and a flaming sword, not with a flaming sword, and A flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life, not to keep you from it. (laughs) Oh, man, religion has done a bang up job messing up scripture. They really have. So, all right, let's go to school here for a moment, because if you know anything about my ministry, you know that I don't like just to read black ink on a white page. There's so much more to it than just reading text. We need to hear what the Spirit says. Because the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. So I want to produce, I want to see the Word produce life in you like it has in me. I heard a Hebrew scholar recently say that rabbis, Jewish rabbis, they will tell you that when you read Scripture, there are ten dimensions to it. And I've been studying dimensions. You know, we see mainly in 3D. But did you know there are four, five, six, ten dimensions? I've been studying sound waves and frequencies. Powerful study. Light. 
I heard a report not long ago that we see, I think it was like 0.007% of light. Adam saw 100%. I believe that even when um, uh, John, Peter and John, they went up to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, they saw into another dimension. You remember when Moses and Elijah met with, with Jesus, they saw into that dimension. There are dimensions. And when you read scripture, don't just read black ink on a, on a white page. And I've heard some preachers say, bless God, if it says it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, which dimension are you looking into? Are you looking through a denominational dimension? Any dimension I look through, it better be used with sun glasses, S-O-N. You better view scripture through Jesus because everything is about Jesus, okay? So there's, there's many viewpoints that we can look at scripture, not different truths, but several angles to the truth. And I know I'm dropping a lot of stuff that really needs a lot of explanation, but for example, we have four gospels, right? There's not four truths. There's one truth with four different viewpoints. And when you bring all those viewpoints together, it paints a beautiful picture of the same truth. Here's my point. (laughs) And I'm setting this up in this way because what I'm about to show you in these verses is not popular, but it's the truth. It's kind of like when Jesus told his disciples, I tell you the truth. Well, everything he said was true, but what he was going to tell them was so radical that he had to preface it by saying, hey, guys, I'm telling you the truth. So my brothers and sisters, what I'm about to say to you is so radical. But just because it's different doesn't mean we should disregard it. Allow the spirit to speak to you. Hear what the spirit is saying, okay? When you meditate upon and you study these three powerful verses, you're going to discover that Adam, okay, was so sin conscious. He was dominated with a sin consciousness that he could not partake freely by grace of the tree of life. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. That's key. That's crucial. You get that. And I've seen this as well. The father still spoke to him by a covenant name, Adam. He called him, I know we say Adam in Tennessee, it's Adam, but really in Hebrew, it's pronounced Adam, Adam. That is not a name. It's not just a name. It's not just a title, but... It's, it's, a, it's a position. God does things on a higher level than we do. When a parent gives a name to a child, oh, why don't we choose this name? That's a cute name. Isn't that a cute name for a girl? Yeah, that's a cute name. No, God does it on purpose. There's a reason he calls people names. This name, Adam, when that name was given, it meant blood, dirt, light, glow, brilliance, covenant. That's what the name Adam means. It it literally means blood covenant man with light shining forth. Powerful, powerful position that Adam had, which when you think it through and you study it out, it makes perfect sense that that's the name he had. Because when God breathed into his nostrils, think about this, God is light. 
So when God breathed, when light breathed into Adam, he glowed with the presence of God in his blood. It shined through him, which is why Adam means glowing. It means brilliant. It means shining forth a blood covenant. Man, it's kind of like when you put a flashlight up to your hand. Have you ever put a flashlight up to your fingers and then looked at it through the other side? It glows. Your blood glows. That's how Adam looked. He shined with the presence, with the glory, with the beauty of God in his blood. And it was a reminder, I'm a blood covenant man. It's key you get a hold of that truth because when God showed up after Adam fell, God still called him Adam. He still called him a blood covenant man. He didn't call him a little old sinner. He still referred to him as a blood covenant man. He didn't say, you dirty dog sinner, what, what's wrong with you? You know what I call that? Grace on steroids. That's what that is. But Adam couldn't handle it. His consciousness had been consumed by the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, how sad is that? How sad is that? How many blood covenant people are still consumed by a knowledge of their good and their evil, their performance, whether it's good or evil, they're consumed by it. That's religion. That's every, every religion is consumed by performance. Have I done enough good? to be good enough for God? Or have I done too much bad? Have I done too much evil to not be accepted by God? It's the same tree. It's the same consciousness. And that consciousness will not allow you to receive of abundant life, the tree of life. When you're consumed by the knowledge of good and evil, you cannot freely receive of life. What does it mean to partake of the knowledge of good and evil? Can I just give you some really cool information? <laughs> okay. It wasn't an apple tree. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but it wasn't an apple tree. I know that upends a lot of religious pictures and a lot of religious rhetoric that we hear. It was the tree of the knowledge Please read the scripture. It spells it out for you. It was a knowledge. It was a way of thinking. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If I do this good work, God will be pleased. Oh, wait, if I've done evil, I'm not fit for God. I'm not fit to receive from a place that freely produces. Does this sound familiar to you? How many people are going to sit in church this Sunday and think, if I can just do a little more good, then God will be pleased with me. Or they, they will be aware of all the bad they've done for that week. It's the same tree that we were never supposed to eat of. And this type of consciousness is what drove Adam out of a garden that was freely producing for him without his performance. And it's that type of consciousness. Is it my good? Is it my evil? That will drive you out of your seated position. Oh, this is so powerful. I trust you're getting it lit. Let me read verse 24 once again. 
says God placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. It didn't say one angel. It's plural, cherubim. I believe this is giving us a type and shadow of the mercy seat. You remember remember the mercy seat? There were two angels, right, that covered it. Adam is seeing this type, this shadow, this picture of cherubim covering. And it goes on to say, and a flaming sword. It didn't say they were holding a flaming sword ready to cut Adam to pieces. It says there were cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to not keep Adam from it and not keep us from it, but to guard the way to the tree of life. Notice this. This is this is why I say this is not popular. It's not a popular message because I've heard people, I've heard preachers, and I've thought it was that way too, that, you know, God put an angel there with a sword so Adam couldn't get to it. That is not what the verse says. God showed us a picture of what he was doing to bring us back to this seated position on the mercy seat so we can receive freely of the tree of life. God has never wanted to keep anyone from this tree of life, man. He's wanted to make a way to it. He's wanted to show us a way to it. So here's what the text is saying. There is only one way to the tree of life. And Adam, you can't get it by the works of your hands because you cannot produce through works of the flesh what I give freely on the mercy seat. Do you want to partake of the tree of life? Then you must lay aside every thought that says it's your good that gives you access and it's your evil that keeps you from access to God. There's only one guarded path where the end is rest on the mercy seat and it's through the flaming sword, the word made flesh. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I trust you're getting this. You're not going to receive that position, that seated position. Jesus, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, the mercy seat. And we are seated with him, not by our performance and certainly not by our consciousness that tells us we must do enough good or we've done too much bad. No, there's only one way you're going to come into this seated position. How is it? By grace on steroids it is by the performance of jesus not by you trying to earn it you can't reach out and take it you must rest and let him feed it to you thank you lord there's not enough caffeine in the world to to pump me up this much man this thrills me to see, I'm not giving you a different truth. I'm just showing you a different angle. I'm showing you Jesus. I'm showing you how the Father always wanted us to partake of the tree of life, even Adam. But Adam was so sin conscious that God said, Adam, you're going to have to go to this field of works because you won't receive, you won't rest and receive freely what I'm trying to give you, what I want to give you. So, son, you've made the choice, but I want you to know there's another Adam. There's a last Adam coming, and I'm going to guard the way to this tree 
So I want to invite you today, rest and receive His grace. Rest and receive of the tree of life.